We're continuing in our overflow series that we started last week. And last week, we talked about a guy called Obed-Edom who just chased after the presence of God. And, and God blessed him. And his life and his family and his home were blessed because he stayed near to the presence of God. And uh, we're going to continue today. And uh, we're going to be looking in the Old Testament again. Uh, very similar timeline as uh, uh, this guy called Obed-Edom. And we're going to be looking at a guy called David today. Uh, but before we get into that, on July 4th, this year, I did a very American thing, uh, more than most of you Americans, and uh, I actually went to Washington, D.C. and celebrated the birth of this nation in the country's capital. It was a wonderful time. So uh, when you go there, it's really hot, and so you want to stay inside as much as you can. The good thing is all the museums are open. So uh, we uh, wandered off into the Natural History Museum, been there a gazillion times, and love some of it, don't love all of it, and... Uh, 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 but uh, uh, I, I went to a part that I'd never been before. I was right at the back of uh, uh, of the Natural History Museum, by the doors where uh, Constitution Avenue is, and uh, and 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 we're on the top floor, and we were coming down the flight of stairs. And as we're coming down the flight of stairs, I'm just walking down, and um, and I'm holding my son. As I look, I suddenly notice something I've never noticed before, and it was this totem pole, which was like uh, we in between the staircases. It was like the biggest totem pole I've ever seen in my life. And this is a picture of the totem pole as you come down the stairs. And as I was coming down, I was just amazed at the detail that was crafted and carved into this totem pole. And and you can see all the detail there. Well, as I'm looking at it, I've never really like like studied totem poles before. Not kind of my thing. So uh, as I'm getting towards the bottom, I'm just realizing it is like uh, creature after creature after creature. I'm not kind of sure what kind of creatures they were, and uh, but they were like, like little devils to me. But uh, creature after creature, and and it was amazing. They were just stacked so high. And then we got to the bottom, and I looked at the guy on the bottom, and I felt so sorry for him because he's at the bottom of the totem pole. I've actually got another picture of like another totem pole uh, that uh, that you can see and, uh, and, and I don't know about you but when we were kids and uh, I'm not sure if it's politically correct but we used to play cowboys and Indians and uh, we would like run around a totem pole and stuff like that and uh, we didn't know it was PC at the time so uh, I suppose that was okay right? So uh, uh, but totem poles now I don't know about you, but as I got to the bottom of the Natural History Museum there at the bottom floor and I looked at the guy at the bottom, I thought, you know what? I feel so sorry for this guy. I know he's not real and he's just been carved, but I kind of understand how he feels at the time. Being at the bottom of a totem pole. And I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever felt like that or if you feel like that at the moment. Maybe this next picture, this is how you feel right now. You feel that you're at the bottom of a totem pole and the weight of the world is on your shoulders. You feel that you've got these aspirations to work your way up, but right now you feel you're just at the bottom. You feel that everybody else is above you and life is not going well for you. And you feel that you've got these dreams that you want to move up in life, but you feel right now there's no way of moving up in life. See, this is what I, I feel like at times. Sometimes lives, our lives feel like totem poles. We feel that we're at the bottom. We feel that there's so many people up above us and we'll never get to where that we want to go in life. Sometimes totem poles are so tall that we're at the bottom and we cannot see the top of the totem pole. 
And so we look up and we see as far as we can go and we aim for the middle of the totem pole. We may aim for the middle of life because we want to work our way up, but we can't see the top. So we work for where we can see. We aim for the middle of the totem pole. And this is the problem in life because so many of us, we're just aiming for the middle. And we're content if we just work our way up just a little bit in life whatever your dreams and aspirations are, as long as I get a little bit up. But what if I was to tell you today that God's desire and plan for your life is not to be the middle, but God wants you to be at the top. That God wants you to climb all the way up to the top of that totem pole of your life. Your, his goal is not for you to be crushed under the weight of everything else in life at the bottom. His goal for you is to be at the top. What if I was to tell you that? Now, the human way to climb a totem pole is very similar to the human way that people climb the corporate ladder. And this is how people do it. They climb over other people. They climb on top of other people. So if, if you wanted to be, if you were at the bottom of the totem pole and you wanted to get to the top, then there are tons of different characters and creatures that you have to get over to be able to get to the top. And that is the human way to climb a totem pole. And often we do not understand what we are doing to people and what we're doing to their lives in order for us to get ahead. Sometimes we don't think about how it affects somebody else. We don't think about how we're climbing over somebody else. But what if I was to say there was another way? What if I was to say there was a God way to get to the top without having to climb over everybody else? What if I was to say that there was a God way in order to fulfill the plans that God has for your life but you wouldn't have to affect other people and, and, and look down on other people and, and climb over other people. What if I was to tell you that this morning? What if there was a God way? Well, there is a God way. And it's found in the story of a man called David. Now, David is one of the most famous people in the Bible. And if you've never heard of David, then you've been under a rock all your life. Because, I mean, everybody's heard of David, uh, even if you've never read your Bible ever. Now, David, his life shows us that we can make our way to the top of the totem poles of our life. We can, we can work our way up to where God wants us to be without having to hurt other people along the way. His story shows us how God elevates us and how God's plan is always perfect. But his story shows us this. And this is the secret to being able to work our way up the totem poles of our life. His story shows us when we keep our hearts soft towards God and pure towards others, the overflow is promotion. I'll say that again. When we keep our hearts soft towards God and pure towards others, the overflow of that heart is promotion. And we're going to take a look at how that actually happened. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. So the first book of Samuel chapter 16. And we are introduced to this man called David. At this time, he is a boy. And this is what the Bible says. I'm going to read verses 1 to 10, and then we'll just quickly talk about this. Now, the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel was the prophet. Just to let you know, Samuel was the prophet of Israel. He was like the major prophet. He was the one that everyone looked to to see what God was trying to tell Israel. 
And he had anointed a guy called Saul as king because everybody had asked for a king. They didn't want a prophet. They wanted a king. So Samuel got this guy, Saul, anointed him as king and said, this is your king. It says, now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rites for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Elab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When Jesse told his, uh, then Jesse told his son, Abinadad, to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimea. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So let's give some context here. So Samuel has anointed Saul as king. Everybody's crying out for a king. All the other nations have kings except for Israel. God says, well, I will be your king, but they didn't want that. They wanted a physical king. So God said, okay. So Samuel goes up to this guy called Saul, who is this strong, impressive guy. He's everything you want in a king. He's got the charisma. He's got the personality. He's strong. He's tall. He, he's demanding. He, he's like an alpha male who can just call the shots. He's everything that everyone wants as a king, and he's a good king. He's actually very good at being a king. The problem was, for Saul, he didn't want to do what God told him to do. He started to disobey God. In the beginning, he followed God, but the more he grew into his role, the more he felt more comfortable in his role. And he didn't want to do what God said, so he disobeyed God. And the result of disobeying God was God started to reject him. And God says, okay, we need to get this guy out of the way. I have someone else for you. I have another king, someone who is not going to reject me, but is going to follow me. So, God speaks to Samuel and says, look, I've rejected Saul. I'm going to show you someone else who is going to be a good king, the king that I have chosen, says God. So he leads him to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is just outside Jerusalem. It's a small little village outside Jerusalem. And uh, so it's of the tribe of Judah. 
right? So Israel were made in different tribes, and there were all these tribes that came together. We got this tribe of Judah. And he goes to the tribe of Judah, and then he finds a man called Jesse. Jesse has eight sons. And God speaks to Samuel and says, look, one of Jesse's sons is going to be the king. So Samuel comes along and, 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 and has this public sacrifice that he's making unto God. And he invites Jesse and his sons as special guests. And so what happens is the sons come. But Jesse only invited seven sons, not all eight sons. We'll talk about that later. But the sons come and then Samuel sees number one son, the oldest son. His name is Elab. Elab is in the mold of Saul. He is strong. He is, has this commanding presence, has this influence. He's tall. He looks like the king. He is king material. Samuel looks up to him, fully expecting God says, this is the guy. And he walks up to him and God says, no, that isn't the guy. I've actually rejected him. Then he keeps going down the line, progressively worse as you look at the sons. See, I'm an older brother, so I can say that. The progressively worse as it goes down, right? Progressively worse as it goes down. But God keeps saying to Samuel, no, he's not the one. Abinadad, he's not the one. Shema, that he's not the one. And all throughout the other sons, no, he is not the one. See, Samuel was a godly man, but he was still a man. And he thinks like a man. He's looking at the outward characteristics of what it needs to be a king. Size, strength, charisma. Those are the things that are on Samuel's mind. See, man always looks at what he can see. He rarely tries to discover what he cannot see. And we do that in our lives. We judge people by outward appearance. We will say, never judge a book by its cover. But we do that every single day of our lives. We do it all the time. We judge people by outward appearance. Samuel is on the search for a person like Saul. He was the perfect king in people's eyes. If we could just get Saul to obey God, then that would be the perfect king. But his heart had turned sour towards God. And what we see about Saul is the overflow of an impure heart eventually is demotion. What did we say before? The overflow of a pure heart is promotion. The overflow of an impure heart is demotion. Demotion starts in the spiritual that you cannot see. But eventually affects the physical. Saul had lost his spiritual anointing. Let me tell you what a spiritual anointing is. A spiritual anointing is when God comes to you and God basically puts his hand on you and he blesses you. And his spirit is with you and his presence is with you and God delights on you. A lot of the times in church circles, we call it like the oil of the anointing or the oil of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us. 
And it's the presence of God being with us. Now, when people were, were to be king in, in, in ancient times, then somebody would come and they would anoint their head with oil physically. And that anointing, that physical anointing would present to, to the people and say, this is the man who is going to lead you. This is the man who is going to become king. We're anointing him before you and before God. But then God, the Bible says, comes behind the scenes and does this spiritual thing within us. And the problem for Saul was Saul had lost his spiritual anointing. God had rejected him. God had turned away from him because he had turned away from God. And once the spiritual anointing had left Saul, he spent the rest of his life struggling as the physical anointing of being king started to slip away. What goes on in the spiritual overflows to the physical. And this is why it's important as believers of Jesus that we are to seek out the anointing of God, the blessing of God, the presence of God. We're to seek out the Holy Spirit in our lives so that God is with us and the blessing of God is with us. For what happens in the spiritual overflows to the physical. So what's going on in the spiritual in your life eventually will affect the physical things in your life. So then Samuel invites Jesse and his sons. And Samuel looks at Elab. Then he looks at Abinadad. And then he looks at Shemir. And he looks at all these sons. And he's looking with human eyes. But this is what I know. God does not care so much about what you can bring to the table. God doesn't care about your gifts and talents. He doesn't care how tall or short you are. That's good for you short people, right? He doesn't care about how well you speak, how bad you speak. He doesn't care about how educated you are or uneducated you are. God is not looking about what you can bring to the table. He is more concerned with how supple your heart is. Is your heart hard? Is your heart prideful? Is your your heart very uh, stubborn? Or is it supple and will allow God to move in it? Elab did not have a supple heart. He had a hard heart. He wanted to do his own things. See, we have a tendency to think for something to get better, that we need to be better. That we need to improve. And it's always good to improve and get better. But let me tell you this morning, God does not need our help. We need God's help. So when we started Generation Church, one of the things we prayed extensively for when we started, and we always complained and then we prayed some more, was God bring more leaders to Generation Church. God bring more talented people to Generation Church. We were so thankful the people that God had given, but we knew if we wanted to continue in the mission that God had for us, we need more people who could lead. We needed more people who were, who, who were even more talented than what we were. And we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for that. And some people came who were good leaders. Some came, they were more talented than what we were But for the most part, God didn't really answer our prayers. And I look back now with just a little bit more maturity than what we had back there. And I realized that we shouldn't have been praying for more leaders. We shouldn't have been praying for more talented people. This is what we should have been praying for. More of God. Because he doesn't need our help. We need his help. 
And in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in your career, in all the things that you do, it's good to get more educated. It's good to, to increase your skill base. It's good to, to, to push yourself more. But the reality is what you really need is more of God. Because we need God. And this is what Samuel even a godly man did not fully understand when he was looking at everybody else. Remember, God sees what we find hard to see, and this is what God sees. He sees the heart. The further up the totem pole of life that you go, the more your heart will be challenged to stay pure. The more influential you become in people's lives, the more your heart will be challenged to stay pure. And God needed someone who was going to be king who had a supple heart so that unlike Saul, he would not turn his back on God. So let's continue reading and see what happens. In 1 Samuel 16 verse 11, it says, Then Samuel asked Jesse, Are these all your sons? He's, he's struggling. He's thinking, hold on. God has said that one of his sons is going to be king and none of these guys are going to be king. And Jesse replied, there is still the youngest, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. I feel like a girl wrote that part, right? You know? I'm like, what guy says that about another guy? Beautiful eyes. Okay. And the, and the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with oil. So the physical anointing to become the next king is happening. And then watch what happens. The oil goes on his head and the Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And Samuel returned to Ramah. The physical anointing happened, but the more powerful thing that happened was the spiritual anointing. God's spirit came upon David. David did not appear to become king material. He did not appear to be king material to the people closest to him. His father did not even invite him to the sacrifice. He was at the bottom of the totem pole. He had seven of the brothers who were ahead of him and then his father ahead of him. Could you imagine if your father would not even think that you're good enough to come to a sacrifice when all your other brothers could go? But in God's eyes, yes, David was not as tall as Elab. He was not as strong as Abinadad. He was probably not as smart as Shemir. But in God's eyes, David was the strongest of all of his brothers, for he had the strongest heart. When, David anoints, when Samuel anoints David to become the next king, the Spirit of God comes upon David and something wonderful happens after God's spirit comes upon David. See, God had anointed him spiritually. And a spiritual anointing is always more powerful in a person's life than a physical anointing. 
Let's bring this into today's context. You go to work and you're up for a promotion. And you go in and you're working hard and hard and hard. And somebody gets a promotion above you. They get this physical anointing of being promoted above you. And you're dejected. But if God has anointed you spiritually, that spiritual anointing is more powerful and more influential and will take you further than that other person's physical anointing or physical promotion. That's why we need to search out God, not search out man. See, Samuel anointed David as king, and that was great. But the real powerful thing that happened was the Spirit of God came upon David. And in just a few months, you will see, and we will see, what happened to David. And this is why David got anointed by God. Because this story shows us that God's spirit dwells upon those whose hearts are pure. So that again, God's spirit dwells upon those whose hearts are pure. Jesus even said in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will inherit the earth. The importance of a pure heart is incredible. And let's take a look at what happened. David went from bottom of the totem pole. In just a few months, he climbed so high that he would have never even imagined where he would have gone to. The first thing that we see David went from being the least important to the most prominent. From the least to the most prominent. This is what I I know in life. Promotion always starts at home. It always starts at home. If God is going to promote you and elevate you and lift you and take you to new places, it always starts at home. Whether the people in your home like it or not, they will start to see a difference within you. David here was the least of his brothers. And in just one moment, he went from being the forgotten kid to the king elect. And look who was the first to see it. His dad, his brothers, and some of his neighbors. The people closest to him, the people who knew David, the people who didn't even think he had anything in him, who had forgotten all about him. Oh yeah, he's out in the field watching the sheep. But this is what happens when God promotes you, you'll go from least to most prominent and it always starts in your family. Let's see what else happened to David. David went from field to palace. He went from the field to the palace. See, when you have the Spirit of God with you, it means... That that spirit within you, what God is doing within you, will sometimes start to help fill the void in those who do not know God. Let's take a look what happened. 1 Samuel 16 verses 14 to 23. So now the spirit of God is with David, right? It says this, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. The anointing of God had left Saul. And the Lord had sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some people call that work, right? Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said. Find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, 
One of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord was with him. The woman worked this one again, right? Always going about his looks. Verse 19, so Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David, the shepherd. Notice he's being called here, the shepherd. He's naming him, the shepherd. Then he says this, Jesse responded by sending David to Saul, along with a young goat and a donkey loaded with bread and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, asking, Please let David remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. Think David is in the field watching his father's sheep. He is a shepherd boy. Like his brothers and father has even forgotten about him when Samuel comes. And in just a few moments, he has got the job offer of a lifetime. Become the personal heart player for the king. Go live in the palace. He is out in the midday sun. The sun is scorching down. He's thirsty. He's looking after stinky, stubborn sheep. And now he is in the palace. He's fulfilling his dream of being a rock star. You know? I mean, it is happening for this guy in just a few moments. Look at the promotion that is happening. From bottom of the totem pole, in the fields, everybody else has forgotten about you. Looking after sheep. Now your job is in the palace from field to palace, but it didn't stop there. We also see from shepherd to armor bearer. From shepherd to armor bearer. See, a pure heart will not just promote you to places that you do not think you belong. What is a shepherd doing in the palace? Come on. But a pure heart will also promote you to Positions of influence others strive their whole lives to get to. Did you notice what Saul said? He loved David so much that David became his armor bearer. In today's society, in today's culture, that would be personal assistant to the king. He took his dry cleaning, he looked after his calendar. He took his call at six o'clock in the morning when he needed something doing. He had his cell phone. He went from being a forgotten shepherd to being the closest person to the king in just a few months. The promotion of David is unbelievable. But it didn't stop there. It carries on. Go to the next chapter, chapter 17 of uh, uh, of 1 Samuel. We see that David goes from passive observer to activist. This is what it said. Verse 12. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephraimite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at the time and had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Elab, Abidad, and Shemir, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. 
David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. See, David had not got too big for his boots. Just because David's position was personal assistant to the king, it didn't mean he'd forgotten about his father. And so he goes back periodically and helps his father with the sheep. It's all showing the pure heart of David. Then it says this in verse 16, For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champions strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers as he was talking to them. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked. He comes out each day to defile Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will, kill that, uh, he will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Then it says this, David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defile the armies of the living God? David went from passive observer to activist. See, those with a pure heart cannot stand by and watch injustice. They cannot stand by and watch wrongdoing without their hearts being tugged at to be part of the solution to the problem. And that's what happened to David. God's spirit was in him and God was tugging at him. This isn't right. This giant cannot defile the armies of Israel. This isn't right. We need to do something about it. Suddenly he became an activist. And then a couple of verses later, you see his brother Elab says to David, David, why are you asking all these questions? Why are you here? You've got a bad heart. That's what he said to him. And this is what happens when God starts to promote you. There will always be others that will try to shoot you down and try to question your motives and your hearts. But those with a pure heart, just ignore it and carry on. From passive observer to activist, and very, very quickly, last one. David's promotion is almost complete in just a few months. He went from private warrior to public hero. Private warrior to public hero. If you know the story of David and Goliath, David was like, I got to do something about this. 
he turns, he, he, he goes to Saul and he has this personal relationship with Saul. And he says, look, Saul, I'll go for you. And Saul's like, come on, David. He says, no, honestly. He said, boss, listen, this is what happened. I was out in the, sh- I was out in the fields looking after my father's sheep and a bear came and tried to take my father's sheep. Do you know what I did? I chased after it. I got my sling and I killed the bear. And then another time, a lion came and tried to take the sheep. You know what I did? I went out and I chased after the lion and I killed it, protecting my father's sheep. He says, if I can do that, this giant, I know I can take this giant for God is with me. I know I can do it. So then Saul gives him his armor and he's a little too small still to wear the armor. He's like, I can't do this. He goes, I'll take this off. I'm going to go and do it. And then what happens? He goes out. Goliath says, what is this? That you come with me as like, I'm like a dog. He says, I will crush you today and the armies of Israel will be mine. And David comes with his sling. And we all know the story. Throws the sling, hits David in the, uh, hits Goliath in the forehead. The Philistine champion falls down. David cuts his head off and Israel win. And suddenly David is a household name and he didn't even have to go to American Idol X Factor to do it. He's a household name. This shows the pure heart of David. Let me tell you, what shepherd in their right mind goes after a bear with just nothing? He didn't have a gun. He didn't have anything. What shepherd in their right mind goes after a lion? Let them have the sheep. The sheep aren't worth that much. Come on. I mean, I know lamb tastes good, but come on. But David had a pure heart. For David is showing us here that what happens in, in private will overflow into public. And what you do in private, let me tell you, will eventually show in public. In private, when no one else is watching, it will overflow into public where everybody is watching. If you have a pure heart before God, eventually God will promote you and other people will see it. If you are doing things in private that you shouldn't be and you won't want anyone else to see, you need to get before God because eventually those things are going to overflow into public where everybody will see. And this is what happened with David. David Hartz tells us that whether he was the low man on the totem pole or the high man on the totem pole, he would always stand up for what is right. And maybe today you're fighting a lion or a bear in your life right now and no one else can see it. Nobody else knows about it. Maybe this is your training ground for when a giant comes and everybody will see it and you will see how God will promote you to places you can never imagine. Remember, God sees when no one else sees, and he will promote those whose hearts are pure. The incredible rise of David from private citizen to public life did not happen because he was lucky. It did not happen because he was in the right place at the right time. It happened because he had a pure heart, and the overflow of a pure heart is promotion. So let me ask you today, how is your heart? Is it pure? Does your private life show a heart that is tender and supple towards God? Or do you put on a show in public 
to hide what you know your heart is really like. How is your heart? On your seat, you have some little index cards and some pencils. And in a moment, I want you to write a scripture on there. And I want you to take this scripture home and I want you to pray over this scripture this week. But before we do that, I'm going to show you what a pure heart looks like. And a pure heart is a heart like David's. And this is what David's heart looks like. Psalm 51. David said this. He wrote this beautiful song. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone, I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, David said. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Then he says this, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again for you have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remember the stain Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And do not take the joy of your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O God, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and a repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with the sacrifices offered in the right spirits. With burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls again will be sacrificed on your altar. There is the cry of a man with a pure heart. So this is what I want our prayer to be today collectively as a church. Whether you know that your heart maybe isn't right and maybe your heart is hard towards God or maybe you have the supplest of hearts that you've ever had in your life towards God. Those with pure hearts pray this prayer unto God and this is the prayer they pray. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And this is what I want us to write on this card today. 
I want you to write that scripture, Psalm 51.10. I was going to just hand you all that scripture, but I think it's more powerful if you write it yourself. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And this is what I want you to do this week. I want you to put this in your wallet or in your Bible or maybe in your car. And throughout this week, every morning, pray this prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And then on the back of that card, I want you to write this statement. And the statement is this. The overflow of a pure heart is promotion. The overflow of a pure heart is promotion. It's not climbing over people, trying to get your way to the top. It's a pure heart before God. And watch how God will promote you. So as we close today, let's just bow our heads in prayer. And let's just pray unto God that God will give us pure and clean hearts, just like David, before we leave today. So Father God, we thank you. Lord, that our life is in your hands. We understand, God, that you don't need us. We need you. And so, Father God, today we come before you. As David had that spiritual anointing, where the blessing and the hand of God was with him and the power of God was with him. Father, we pray today that the anointing of God will be upon us, that the Holy Spirit will come in this place and in our lives and in our hearts and in our homes and overflow. Father, we pray that our hearts will be pure before you. That as we seek you more, God, that we will keep a soft heart, which will be supple to the things of God and pure towards others. That we will not be people with ulterior motives. God, that we will not be a, a, a people or a church who says one thing on the outside, but in private we do some things different. But God, that our hearts will be open to you. And God, that we will learn the beauty of being with Jesus and in the Holy Spirit and with God in the private. Knowing, God, that it will overflow into the public. Father, we pray today like David, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And that is our prayer today and that is our prayer for this week, God. And we know, Lord, that when we keep our hearts pure before you, the result is promotion. We don't know where you're taking us, God, but all we know is you've got great plans for us. So keep our hearts pure before you, we ask, just like David. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.